Life. Dignity. Security. Freedom. Respect. Justice. 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 Equality. Equality. Remedy and protection. Fairness. Fair time. Crystal Giesbrecht. I am an Amnesty International Canada field worker based in Regina. I am guest hosting Human Rights Radio today alongside Jim Hutchings, who always hosts this show. Today we are celebrating International Women's Day, and we are speaking to three fantastic women activists who are also Amnesty members. So they're going to introduce themselves, and then we're going to get into a conversation about the importance of this day and talk about women's human rights in Canada and worldwide. I just want to jump in here and tell you, remind you of those who don't know, that our theme song is titled 30 Words, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, and it's written in Performed by REM and a collection of musicians from around the world. So, who's going to who's going to be first? My name is Ritva, and I moved to Canada six years ago, and I came from Burundi. And um, my name is Tolu Otayemi, and um, I am a social work student at the University of Regina. I moved here four years ago, and I am um, a volunteer with Amnesty International Saskatchewan. Uh, my name is Manala Lejabu. And I have moved to Canada a long time ago, <laughs> more than 15 years. And uh, and actually, I'm a human rights activist and human rights activist as well. And currently, I'm the vice president for Amnesty uh, Regina Group 91. And this is my passion, actually, well, throughout my life. I work for women, with women, to women. And building from that, and because it's International Women's Day, I would like to ask all of you what you see, first of all, as the biggest challenge to women's human rights in your home country. And then we can talk a little bit more about what we're dealing with here in Canada as well. Uh, well, uh, in, in my country, I originally came from Sudan, as I said, a long time ago. 
and well we have lots of challenges I can tell facing women and girls as well in back home uh, one of the things like I can tell up to date it's about uh, the traditions and customs uh, when it comes to value the role of women and girls in my society I didn't say they are all bad of course we have very good and we are very proud of some of the, our traditions but unfortunately this is one challenge is one challenge face face us as the women about the concept of the women roles among our society and I believe that's all the African countries and Middle Eastern countries and I guess in Arabic countries as well uh, b beside that also uh, uh, the traditions, as I said, there is um, the the legislation or the laws that uh, are facing or ruling the country right now. It is all uh, or mostly against the women rights. Or and when we talk further uh, during the interview, I can tell more about that uh, that challenge specifically. Hi, um, my name is Ritva. Again. Um so uh, as I uh, when I introduce myself I, I say that I come from Burundi and my country um, was affected and is still affected by several years of political strife and economic instability so this is the major challenge for many women and also we still we are still a very patriarchal society which uh, affect the way uh, women are able to sustain themselves, sustain their own communities, and also affect the human rights. So, in my country, Nigeria, the most prevailing issue relating to women human rights is the issue of women who were abducted by the Boko Haram sect in 2014 and um, although these women escaped it's still really sad that they still face issues today like recently a number of them they call them Knifa women they were you know displaced and they were actually sexually abused by people in authority which is something that should be should not happen right so it really saddens my heart and I'm pretty sure it does for other women human rights activists out there that this is still happening in 2019 these women are facing issues traumatic experiences over and over again we're supposed to help them heal after everything they've gone through but we're just making this happen to them over and over again which should not continue it should stop mm -hmm. uh, I just want to relate to that if you don't mind uh, it's about the human rights defenders. This is the major issue and major challenge in uh, in my country. Like currently, currently, like hundreds of women now they are in jail or detention because uh, they're uh, active politically, economically, and supporting what's going on currently in in my country. So what they are facing, uh, 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 based on that, is as I said, a lot of them they are detained stopped from work and they are in jail for their activism and, and such things I would just also like to add that um, in Burundi we also have a, a prevalent issues of sexual gender uh, based violence and also because um, there is a lack of political will to to just um, 
qu'on aime de kind of uh, those, um, uh, those, who those who who commit those crimes that's a huge issue of crime and impunity overall and you everyone who's an amnesty member will remember some of the things you talked about and taking taking action for the kidnapped girls in Nigeria Something I'd like to ask all of you is, what have you seen in your countries in terms of activism, in terms of women's movements that have been successful? Are there things that you feel worked, whether it was action from within the country or things that were joined by activists elsewhere? Uh, whoever would like to start? <laughs> yeah, you can start. Okay, so... Uh, Regarding the women movement uh, in my country, Sudan has been one of the earliest and biggest country that started the women movement since uh, uh, early 30s and the maximum or the peak time for us in the 50s. And uh, what I can say about uh, like uh, the achievement of, the, of this movement, currently we are leaving the, the very good uh, achievements we have done throughout these years, about 50 years or something. And uh, the, the, the movement, it's always been like um, based on the women from inside, from Sudan themselves. And we have learned, of course, from other countries, neighboring, but our movement, the unique things about it, it is always for the women, by the women, as I said, and to the women. And, and it become, actually becomes one of the famous movement along the region, Horn of Africa and the Middle Arabic countries. We are uh, the first country that have uh, political representation at the parliament. We have the famous late uh, Fatma Ahmad Ibrahim. She's the first lady in the region that she joined the parliament. And throughout of her life, she just passed uh, uh, away on 2017 very recently and she spent most of her life defending the women rights and she fight uh, uh, with the men at that time in my country and we are actually having one of the very major issues I think now currently we are going to talk about about the equal wages between men and women she fought for her life and now in Sudan we exercise and we enjoy that uh, one, one right along with so many things education, health she actually a leader for what I can tell she is a role model for me to the point that I'm now I'm here talking speaking and defending about my women or about uh, my movement in Sudan because of her I can tell like 90% of my personality because she's for us it's a, a role model and she, as I said she did a lot of work to us as women in, in so many sectors in uh, back home in Sudan and at the region she's well recognized by the way at the region as well uh, African countries or the Middle Eastern countries Thank you for that Ritva did you want to add on and talk about your experience as well? Yes, um, in Burundi we had uh, strong leaders that, that, that who used to voice the issues of women since 2009, but uh, from 2015, uh, since the very recent um, political strife that uh, erupted in our country, there was a severe crackdown um, 
on all the political and civil society movements. So um, there was a movement of women who protested against the third political mandate that were sought by our current president. But since the, poli the crackdown, they had to flee the country. So that movement tried to thrive in outside of the country in the diaspora. So now they just work with the with other organizations, um, like in the diaspora. And those who are inside, they can't really do anything because they are only silenced silenced by the by the government. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so for me in Nigeria, I really don't know much about like people or women who have actually stood up. But um, historically, um, I know about this people called About Women. They had this About Women's Riot a couple of years ago, a number of years ago. I wasn't even born that time. And this was the time when you can't, as a woman, you dare not speak up. So they spoke up um, against injustice and they had their way. And um, currently there is this woman called Miriam Awaisu. She is um, a human rights activist. Um, she recently spoke up and she got arrested. And I think our case is still, you know, they're still like trying to find a way to get her out of custody. And um, yeah, this is a woman that speaks up against injustice. And it's really sad to you know, know again that we are in a world or Nigeria is a country where you dare not speak up against something that is wrong. So many things are wrong about the country, I understand, but then I still have faith and I believe that if we continue to speak up, things will get better. I have a question. Yeah. In these countries we're talking about, uh, do women have equal voting rights? Do they have rights to participate in the political process? And they have the voting rights themselves. Is that that's is that true? Yes, that's true. In my country, men and women have equal voting equal rights. rights. That way, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's um, it's a good thing. But then, um, <laughs> I don't want to be stereotypical here and say Nigeria is like we have like riots every time during elections. I think Amnesty actually covered the case of this recent election, which was last week, about how riots occurred in a number of states in Nigeria mm -hmm. and um, yeah it's sad but it happens so, so do women come out and vote yes women come they out do. and vote they do so the point that I was coming around to mm -hmm. was that if women really get out there and participate they should be able to yeah. uh, create some change because if they get out and, and vote you know, and, and and you have candidates that recognize the fact that they have to uh, uh, have, you know, policies mm -hmm. that are favorable for women. Mm -hmm. There's there's hope there. Yeah, there is hope. But then we'll, I would like to be realistic and say that, for example, Nigeria is a country where patriarchy is the order of the day. Mm -hmm. Like, if you are a woman and you really want to speak up for yourself, speak up for other people, you are going to be stretched. Like, it takes a lot. So, yeah. But if women got out there and voted, mm -hmm. then what would happen? I mean, that's a step. It's the, That's a step to show that women are doing something. Women's voices are heard, but there is a but there. Yeah. Yeah. Read, but go, go ahead. How is it in Burundi? I would like to add to uh, what Tulu is saying. Um, 
in Burundi we have uh, for instance for the parliament we have 30% of, of women 30% uh, uh, of the seats are uh, assigned reserved for women but this um, like this representation, I, I would say it's just symbolic. It's, it's just like a symbol. It's not really a meaningful representation. They don't have a say, which can really change things. And we also have community-based organizations that voice the issues of women, but they are restricted on what they can say or what they cannot say. So. Uh, those who really speak up for injustice, for violation of human rights, they, they, they have to be outside of the country. That's the issue. Uh, well, uh, in, in Sudan, it's a little bit different. As I said, we started the movement women uh, earlier than other countries, and it's not like we are in favor or something, but our experience is a little bit different because uh, women, they became very strong, and yes, we have the equal vote uh, processing. Women, they speak up about themselves. And yes, we have a lot of women organizations. And we worked hard, actually, to increase the awareness of uh, women in uh, remote areas, villages, or rural areas, and using different um, tools and mechanisms. And, and I can say we are uh, kind of above 50 or 70% we succeeded in that because if we compare for the last uh, 10 years the number of women whom uh, they came and uh, do or did their vo uh, vote for what uh, at that time whatever kind of voting they are compared with previously is, I can say uh, over 80% and it's just exercising, being there to exercise the right of uh, doing your vote. It's a new thing, and they are quite happy with that. And we have us uh, in Rwanda, uh, Burundi. Uh, now there is 25% representation, 25% yeah, representatives by women. And as Ritva say, it is just a, a kind of what we call back home to Manchamar. It's like just to make the things look... Uh, good for the international community mm -hmm. but in reality uh, strongest women they never been part of of this uh, or they never have been have seat within the current ruling regime which has been there for 30 years so always even the women now they are in the parliament or wherever with the government they are of course uh, align for the government and they do the things the way the government or the regime currently they would like to do but yet we have very strong organization women organization and we have uh, a very famous even network called not women oppression which uh, work with women at different at grassroots at educational levels different sectors different areas geographically and any time we offer the support and currently during the uh, revolution currently in Sudan. So uh, we're trying to uh, uh, educate ourselves and make ourselves aware about our rights. And this is a very basic. Now, each organization, we have like a kind of uh, agenda. We have to be... Uh, like the the role one of the activi one of the objectives is to work towards empowerment of women from whatever you want economically politically it depends but you have to have that 
in your mandate and then you will go from there. So I can tell now the, re- uh, the awareness raising among the women in Sudan, even at the rural areas, it's way higher than uh, 10 or 30 years ago. So some of the things that you've shared about the women's movements in your home countries also brings us back to the work that Amnesty International has been doing on defending women's human rights defenders. Mm -hmm. And that was our theme for Right for Rights this year in December, and we all work together writing letters for those cases. I wonder if there's any of those cases that you'd like to talk about or any notable women human rights defenders that, that you would like to share. Um, I would like to share about the the um, case of the indigenous Sangbari uh, women, um, people of the of Kenya. Uh, that that case really um, struck for me because um, it just um, um, it just shows how women can be very very powerful when they are together. When the the fact that they have stand up against um, powerful corporations that just wanted to um, uh, take the lands. Um, the case of the those women is also the case of other women in India and um, Guatemala or all those places. Because the, these women, they feel that they are threatened because they livelihood, the the livestock upon which they depend for the daily uh, living is uh, threatened to just disappear, they stood up and they speak for themselves and for the communities. They are very vulnerable but they just go beyond, they overcome the fear that they have and they they just challenge those organizations. Mm -hmm. So that really uh, yeah, struck for me. Yeah. Um, in my case, or I, I would like to talk about two examples. Um, one, it's from my home country, which is Sudan, and it's not necessarily about uh, one person. It's about a group, and uh, the as I said, like the current thing in uh, in Sudan, the current uh, revolution. Uh, it has been led like equally 50% by women, young ladies, uh, seniors, ch- even children, female children. They are all participating in this revolution because they are fighting for their dignity, for justice, freedom and peace. Because Sudan again is one of the countries that has been living in conflict for quite a long time. And even before we used to be one country with South Sudan, and due to these uh, conflicts, we reached uh, the point that we have to separate it from them. So conflicts still ongoing in you know, the ending of the war between South and North. It's not the ending of the problems in Sudan because we still have Darfur, we have Nuba Mountains, and we have uh, even people in Northern Sudan. And now we have the nation all Sudanese citizens or people back home or all over the world they are fighting for removing this regime which is dictator and which uh, stole everything like economically, socially, culturally from the Sudanese nation. So we find women like equally protesting, equally um, 
demonstrating with men along if not more and and until they call it like the revolution of women or ladies and they don't fear they are fighting for their right as women because this regime has basically come as if it's just against the women everything every rule every legislation or act it's done it has to be somehow touch the women rights in a different perspectives so it is and the good thing about that everyone in the street now or uh, out fighting against this so and uh, Amnesty International played a great role I think so far by covering as much as they can uh, about what's going on in Sudan because it's not reflecting clearly in the rest of the world and I can tell even in Saskatchewan here and it's whole helping other uh, groups, Sudanese in diaspora in other cities in uh, Canada like in Edmonton, Toronto uh, Ontario actually as uh, BC so they are always uh, being there helping writing letters to free as many as they can and uh, if you are following the website there are 46 students from Darfur has been basically uh, dis, uh, dismissed from the university because they are from Darfur it's ethnicity like genocide cleansing so now they are back so, so just like that they always I found amnesty covered that and have some way some hands to put pressure on the government or international community to help the other thing I can see also it's about very interesting in Saudi Arabia because Saudi Arabia one of these countries has been living in violation of human rights specifically women for quite long forever I think forever for their life so very recently they starting to fight for themselves as women even as men and of course we have heard a very uh, heard about very difficult circumstances and situation happening to the human rights defenders, especially women. So, and I saw as well and I read about Amnesty have been involved heavily in that matter. And we witnessed uh, the very recent crisis between Saudi Arabia and Canada, and Canada when the, uh, the King uh, Salman, he asked or the requested all his people to go back without paying attention to any rights for those whom they are studying or having life or something. So this is to me all uh, violations and we we hear and we saw how much that uh, Amnesty have been involved in that such uh, situation. Yeah, so I'm just going to continue from where Manal stopped um, while she was talking about the case or issues in Saudi Arabia. There is one I would really like to point, point out which is I believe the most recent one that Amnesty Canada is like handling at this point in time which is the case of Reem Amrawan the 18 and 20 year old um, ladies who fled Saudi Arabia mm -hmm. and we are trying to go to Australia but got, but got um, held down in Hong Kong so this case really stands out, stands out for me because these ladies are young ladies, ladies and they are currently facing obstructions due to immigration laws which you know restrict you from going to certain countries and all of that and um, also the main reason why they actually had to flee, flee Saudi Arabia was because they were being maltreated by male family members, treated like slaves and stuff, which is something a lot of women go through. Mm -hmm. um, in case, yeah, in case of you know gender 
inequality and all of that. And um, I'm really glad that Amnesty Canada has spoken up against this. And I don't know where the case is leading to right now, but I am so glad and happy that the case has been taken up. And I really hope something positive comes out of it. Yes, thanks for sharing that. And on the Amnesty Canada website, there there are petitions and actions that people can take for women's human rights in Saudi Arabia as well. And all of the, the stories you shared, as well as Ritva's previous comment about when activists are trying to do some of the work, they have to be doing it from outside of their own country to be safe. And something that I have often reflected on is the privilege that we have here in Canada that we can speak out to our own government mm-hmm. and the responsibility that we have to do so, but also the responsibility to try to help take some action on things that are happening internationally. So I think I would really like to hear your perspectives as activists who are now living in Canada, but very much doing work on things that are happening in the regions of the world where you've lived and other international issues as well. Mm-hmm. How, how do you see that in terms of the difference of being able to engage in activism when you're here in Canada versus in the country where you lived? Mm-hmm. Okay, so for me, I haven't actually done anything about my home country, but then I've been involved in other countries. And um, I wouldn't say that I feel insecure but I am not I don't feel like I'm in this place where I can actually go all out for things happening in Nigeria because I I am not afraid but I am just not confident enough to do that so yeah um I think it's the whole world just the difference as being uh, being in the country versus being outside of the country, it's it's really a huge, huge, huge difference. As you said, Crystal, here we have a huge privilege. You you we can speak up about things that we we do not like. We 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 think they are not right, and it's it's totally different because we inside of the country people don't have that freedom they don't have that freedom of expression even the media they they are silenced and it's it's something that we should acknowledge recognize and uh, just take that uh, advantage of that freedom that we have to speak more about things that um, really affect the lives of many people yeah, so just to add to what I said earlier, I did not mean to sound like a coward. Yeah, so um, as much as I haven't done anything to support my country, I, um, I'm actually in the place where right now I want to do something because I can't continue to live like this, right? And um, yeah, so... If I am able to get the support I need, I would do something. And um, still on that, I am not, I don't think I am safe enough to work in Nigeria, but definitely outside the country. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you are not a coward. <laughs> and you can do a lot from here. Mm-hmm. And uh, in my case, actually, the first time when I uh, fled, fled my country because my life was threatened and due to my activism 
and working with women at different areas. And I actually worked at different uh, in areas which is very fragile and very pro- problematic to the government, not to us. It's in Darfur right now, and um, the very few people starting working there. And uh, and I miss that actually. I miss that because I can't anymore do that back home. Uh, because I yes, I fear uh, my life to, to at any time might being killed or detained or and of course the media the voices for women or for everyone is still it's, uh, as Ritva said freedom of expression like as a matter of fact we have hundreds of journalists now in in Sudan and I believe in other countries they are in, in jail mm-hmm. because they are speak up and they voice out the issues if it is women related or human rights related or uh, different types of problems so the only thing because they speak up and they uh, uh, talked about that very loudly and but yet uh, I feel like from time to time I want to go there and do something practical and concrete after I have learned from being here in Canada uh, where I can clearly and openly expose my ideas I can talk about issues and can talk to, to communicate with the government write letters do so many things I would like to practice that back home to help as much as I can um, like and, and actually I went back sometimes I spent went back uh, home because I missed some of the very um, important uh, things happening in my country. So I decided to go there and try to help. And I did actually. I went for like um, five, six years. And I tried my best, but in the middle of that, I've got like lots of troubles. Like we've been, uh, my organization I used to work has been uh, shut down by the security guys. All our uh, tools and equipments have been confiscated, and we have been threatened if we are not listening to security or to the whatever uh, authority. We are not going where we are going to be in the bad situation. Some of my colleagues, uh, and not myself, maybe because I have a Canadian passport that protects me somehow, I don't know, but might be. But some of my colleagues have been in detention and been investigated, called by the security guys. So it is not an easy job. It's, it's not an easy job for anyone uh, in diaspora from any country that struggles or suffering with whatever problems or human rights uh, issues down there. But we can do. We can do a lot from here. We can put some pressures on the government through the government or international community. And we can speak out as now I'm talking about what's going on in Sudan in details and I can give numbers, names very uh, safely without uh, fearing that I might be out of... If, if I did the same talk back home, most probably uh, by the time I'm done, if, if I entered out of this building, I'll, nobody will know where am I. <laughs> I might be. This just disappeared. So this is a privilege, we, and we, we can use that, we can utilize that uh, as much as we can to help uh, our home countries, and I believe to help uh, even the, our community here. Now we are Canadian, and still there are so many issues here related to women's rights. Today is international, tomorrow is International Women's Day, and there are still some issues we need to speak up about it, being part of the community. And... Uh, if I can share one of the things really, really, 
affects me badly about the situation of uh, the sterilization of women, especially from the, uh, if I can politically correct, say, First Nation, or, yeah, so it is, this is one of the issues we, we should find some way to end that, because it's going on and on, like, uh, never ends, and it's threatening, and it's scary, and it is actually stopped the lives of so many families, and so many kids, so many girls, so this is one of the things I really, I want to see myself as a ministry member, and as a ministry group, to do something very strongly, to stop that, no matter what, by all means. Thank you very much for bringing that up because that is something that Amnesty is working on very much and specifically for International Women's Day we're trying to get some attention and encourage people to take action on the forced and coerced sterilization of women and it's been happening all over our country. A lot of those cases were right here in our own province of Saskatchewan so so it is, it's so unfortunate and this brings us from what we were talking about before that things in Canada aren't perfect either. We have human rights violations existing here every day and this is one really, really horrible example of that and it illustrates the need to work on our own things here in our own country and the work we still have yet to do. So, are there other things either on this topic or on other work that you see us needing to do here in Canada? Um, yes, um, as you say, there, there is a lot of work to do here in Canada. Um, I, w I will just refer to the to the recent like uh, report that was re released by the Canadian uh, Femicide Observatory, which really uh, like provided a small like record of women who were killed last year, 148. And this like remind us about the murdered and indigenous women. Uh, still, the public inquiry did not um, provide did nothing, uh, any result, meaningful result, um, so that can pe so that people can heal. And this is an ongoing issue, but we also have. Um, uh, like inequality pay pay inequality mm -hmm. between women and men mm -hmm. there are many women uh, refugee and immigrant women who work uh, at a minimum wage and um, without um, any benefit and this is a very important issue this is a very important issue because they, they, they are not able to have um, just living a dignified life, to be able to to buy a house, to be able just to 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 have a healthy life. Mm -hmm. They have to, to work more than one job because they, they, they mostly work uh, part-time jobs, just low-wage jobs. And yeah, so I think the government should do more, more to help women, more to help those who are more vulnerable, do the low-income families, and more especially uh, indigenous women 
uh, uh, refugees and immigrants. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, if I can add to that, that's a very good point. I think I, I have it in my mind about how we could help this, uh, the, the wage uh, equality, like the payment equality. This is one of the issues that struck my mind all the time. Like when I, I'm, if I talk about Sudan, we, we don't have that problem back home since long time ago and as a matter of fact that's related to what I mentioned earlier about uh, the female uh, leader uh, who passed away Fatma Ahmed Ibrahim because she fought for that so when I came here the first time I was like what <laughs> what is this and so this is very important issues and definitely it's affecting uh, newcomers refugee and low income if I can say low-income families it affects that drastically because as you said you can't do anything with that and uh, uh, one other thing actually I would like to see like one of the issues like the business uh, women empowerment in business because we don't see many women that they have their own business and I'm talking about big companies and corporations whom they can actually support and help themselves and maybe the women and they maybe the whole country. So this there is we need to work on that because this is their rights to to access, to have access to Mm, uh, as much as the men has for their business, like if it's loans or procedures or processing, whatever it affecting that, because I didn't see, as I said, many women in that. And I also I wanted to work and help with women uh, politically empowerment to be part. Like I I, I want to see one day the leader of this country a woman, and we can work on that and we help because we have to work hard on that and to give like equal opportunity for men and we for women to um, being elected and to be part of this hierarchy like to be a prime minister so this this for me it's, it's one of the very important issues we can do there and that's why that will definitely affect and reflect it in our country so I'm like a role model and we can take that experience back home and we can uh, do that back home and we can depend on 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 those women leaders they, wherever they are in the world, so they can help women in other countries like my home or uh, your home, etc. So building from that, lots of work to do, and we know we just have so much more to do here in Canada and internationally, but what is something concrete that you think our Human Rights Radio listeners might be able to do to take some meaningful action for International Women's Day? Is there something that people can do that's going to make an impact on any one of these issues that we've covered? I think um, listeners can, uh, in the first place, they can inform themselves about the issues that are out there uh, about the issues of women here in Canada, um, like Manel mentioned, the the petition for the um, forced uh, sterilization of of indigenous women. So this is um, a petition which is uh, supported by Amnesty, and they can go online and sign it, mm -hmm. um, like. Uh, calling on the on the federal government to allow for public inquiry, and also no, sorry, I think it's an investigation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
so they can also inform themselves about what is happening um, in developing countries outside of Canada and they can support those petitions online and also they can support um, women's shelters, YMCA and all those organizations that help women uh, chemically outreach, they also help homeless people and uh, their women also. I mean, we, we don't need to go outside of our backyard to help. We, we can just help here either by contributing financially or by, uh, by uh, signing those petitions. Amnesty is one of them and yeah. Yeah, just to add to what Rita said, um, you know, the first thing, the first step to take is to educate yourself. Like, if you don't know it's happening, you cannot do anything to help, right? Mm -hmm. And then, what's the next step after you know? Take steps, speak up, be resistant, and um, make sure you take actions to just to fight against these things we're trying to avoid, stop, and reduce. So, yeah, that's about that's about it. Okay, for me, if you allow me, I, I have two messages, different <laughs> messages. One, uh, I assume the listeners are maybe from both uh, language, like from my Arabic language speaker or the English speakers. Uh, so f the, the first message or the first things I would like the listeners when they speak Arabic or who are Sudanese, Canadian or Sudanese all over the world, if they hear, uh, hear us, I, I really encourage them to do something with regard to what's going on in Sudan and to do their guts and to do their effort and to help as much as they can because we are witnessing a lot of violations, human rights violations from different perspectives, killing and this is the one to start and you can build on that and uh, uh, to help whom they uh, are in detention, they have to be released because they have done nothing but fighting for their rights and uh, uh, I want to say that like today I'm celebrating we, we, we are Sudanese women all over the world actually we are celebrating the March months at the women months not just uh, the tomorrow it's, and we call it like white March white march because we are we agreed to, to wear if you saw me I'm wearing my costume today it's supposed to be white uh, top we call it top supposed to be white to represent or to fight the oppression and suppression of the women uh, human and women uh, human rights and so we agreed all over the world to wear that the whole months uh, so the color white represent we are fighting for our dignity, for our uh, self, for the nation, for our people down uh, uh, in Sudan. So, if you come across in the Facebook or something, you, f you might see a lot of uh, Sudanese women wearing this uh, white top. I don't have a white, so I wear another one. So, this is um, this is just kind of support and solidarity as women together. So, please, like, help women in Sudan, and we are celebrating. Uh, the international women there, while they are thousands of them in jail, mm. they haven't seen their families for three, four months. So I would like everyone to 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 do something, take action, as you said, to free the country from this uh, current regime. And for the Canadian audience or English speaker audience, yeah, you can do anything from just listening and educate yourself up to actually take an action in different format write a letter 
just write a letter, write a few words in Facebook, write something that reflects or speak about how you support or how you uh, have solidarity for such situation all over the world. The whole world have problems, like we heard so many countries. So for the International Women's Day, we need a lot of support and solidarity, no matter what, from even not the women, from men, young guys. We need support and solidarity. We need to move on on our agenda for the uh, uh, decade, for the coming decade, because we have to be in a different situation. We don't need to worry anymore about our families, about safeties, about securities, about life. Uh, we need to be a very productive part, half of the community, what we use, the way we are, what we are doing now, but we need to be more even productive, and we have the, of the social, social uh, of the society. So we need to actively be contributing and participating in, in such things. So please go ahead and do whatever it takes you, Check our website, Amnesty International. Check whatever we, we want to do. Unsign petitions, write a letter, send a message, uh, make a affirmative action at different levels. You can help and support the, uh, us to celebrate the International Women's Day. I, I just want to add that many people, they don't know the importance of writing a letter, as Manel is saying, because this is a huge um uh, like uh, it's a huge gift for those who who need that help because they will feel the solidarity behind the, behind the, the doors of the of the jails. They they can feel that they are not alone. Exactly. And yeah. people need to know that. Yeah, and they would know that we are celebrating for them to be one day. That's it. Thank you so much for sharing that. And that is a really important piece of letter writing. And letter writing, of course, is a big part of what we do as Amnesty members and how many of us probably got involved. But that's the other piece of it, as Ritva said. We write letters to governments and decision makers and ask for change and ask for better conditions for people who are incarcerated and ask for freedom. But we can send those messages to those individuals at risk and to their families and their communities as well. And that is powerful. And, and we hear from people who have been released or who have had their conditions improved, and we know the impact that that makes. And what you've all shared gives us something really positive to think about for International Women's Day, because there is something that everyone can do. If someone wants to educate themselves a little more about any of the issues you've shared... Go online, sign a petition, write a letter. It's something that you can do that is really meaningful. Mm -hmm. And you can spend as much or as little time as you have on International Women's Day to take action. So that gives, that gives all of us something that we can, that we can do that's meaningful. Um, if, uh, I just want to relate to one point you mentioned, Crystal, that's very important and really significant by when you said we are... We have to support the families of the uh, victims or survivors or whoever now are under any kind of oppression or torture or in detention. This is very important because the family, they really, families or friends and the community, they really feel uh, worried about them. And when they recognize that they are not alone, as you said, Ritva and Crystal as well, when they recognize there is some people somewhere they are, talking about what they are going through and even their people whom they are in jail or even whom they have passed away or died 
they always need to be supported and they felt they are not alone, they are not isolated, there are so many similar situations. They feel comfortable and they feel helped and they feel uh, grateful because the, you, you are not anymore in uh, a separate uh, box or a separate uh, place. You are worldwide, well known, recognized. So I really appreciate that by supporting the families, talking with them or sending letters or whatever types of support, they really need it. And that's, uh, that's very important even in dealing with the issue, in dealing with the problem they have or with the matter they are passing through. Like, for example, people now, we lost like 70, uh, maybe about 60, 62 individuals in Sudan between young it ranges from 14 years old up to 65, 66 years old. And the, the family they are in, really, they are, they, they couldn't believe that they, ha they are not going to see their uh, father or brother or son anymore out of the southern. So what, what, what the protests are doing, they are visiting. This is a very simple way. They are visiting families and asking about what do you want? And they send them like, collect some money or some even groceries or wherever just to show the support you are not alone and they visit them during the funeral days because back home we have it goes from one to three days so all this kind of support and solidarity is very important to the families and it makes them stronger it makes them even believe they educate them they are not aware about what uh, their uh, lost one went out for so they will become oriented and they become actually part of the the fight and they become one of the supporters of the issues related to women or the human rights or any other issues in the country or any situation Well, I would like to say thank you very much to the three of you for sharing your wisdom and your experiences with us and giving us some hope and some direction as well for our International Women's Day podcast. And thank you very much to Jim and Human Rights Radio for allowing me to be the guest host and have the opportunity to share with the three of you. So thanks again so much. And thanks for myself as well. <laughs> as we close today's Human Rights Radio show, we hope you have enjoyed listening to and have learned something new about human rights for all people. For information on past and upcoming shows with links to human rights actions and information, go to amnestysaskatchewan.ca. Peter Bannison, founder of Amnesty International, said, It's better to light a candle of hope than to curse the darkness.